Let's continue in worship by taking your Bibles this morning and joining me in turning to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. I am Keith Pugh, the, one of the co-pastors here at Alberta Baptist Church, pastor of uh, pastoral care and discipleship, and it's a joy to uh, bring God's Word this morning and to be a part of the Advent season here at Alberta Baptist Church. We've been looking at... Uh, the coming of the king. We began several weeks ago with First and Second Samuel talking about a king, and now we've come to uh, the Gospels as we are looking at the king, the king. Uh, I, I want to share with you before we begin, uh, this past Friday, we as a church lost a, a godly man. Well, we say we lost. He went to be with the Lord. We know where Dave is, but Dave Kitchens passed away Friday. And Dave is beloved by our congregation and his wife, Kay, and their children, Greg and Amy, are certainly in our prayers. But just for your information, the service, funeral service, will be tomorrow at 2 p.m. at Memory Chapel with a visitation at 1230. So please uh, remember this family during this time. And, and we, uh, you know, as the scripture says, we grieve and we do grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Dave loved Jesus. He was one of the most humble, godly men I know. And I know today, without a shadow of a doubt, that he's in the presence of the Lord. So we, we celebrate, and yet we, we do grieve. So remember this family. But we began the Advent season last Sunday. Pastor Kyle uh, did a great job with the Word. We, he talked about the birth Today, I'll talk about the life of the king. Next week, Colby will look at the death of the king, and then we'll look at the resurrection. And then the last Sunday of the month, we'll look at the return of the king. So my simple task this morning is to talk and preach about the life of Jesus. How long have we got? <laughs> you know, John's gospel said that books could have been written, books that the world could not even contain when you look at the life of Jesus. So I'm gonna to try to bring it all into a two-hour message this morning. So uh, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, in 1 Samuel, the people, the elders of the nation of Israel came to, to Samuel, who was the prophet, the last of the judges, and they said, we want a king. And the reason they wanted a king was that so they could be like other nations. God gave them a king. First, he gave them Saul, and then David became king, and there was a series of kings, but uh, there was a king that ruled from earthly kingdoms. And the New Testament tells us that there is a king now who will come with an eternal kingdom. And again, as I said, last Sunday, we looked, for, as Kyle showed us from the Gospel of Matthew, about the birth of the king and then the reception of the king. It's interesting that Matthew's gospel approaches the gospel from the perspective of kingship. We see King Jesus. Matthew's, uh, Mark's gospel approaches from the perspective of the servant king, or the servant Jesus. And then Luke's gospel talks about Jesus as the son of man. And John's gospel teaches us about Jesus as the son of God. So it's by design that we go to Matthew's gospel. We'll be there for the remainder of the Advent season as we look at the kingship of Jesus. So the nation of Israel said, we want a king. How about us? 
Do we want a king? Do you and I, do we want a king, someone to rule over us? Well, the question would be why? Why do we want a king? What good is a king? I think today, again, being totally honest, a lot of people are fed up with political leaders and political parties and any kind of rulership. But as people of the 2018 today, do we want a king? Do we want someone to rule over us? Is there a promise of a king and a kingdom that will make a difference? Is there a promise of a kingdom that will give us a better life? I want us to realize this morning that Christmas reminds us not only has our king come, but Christmas reminds us, church, that we need a king. We need a king. Christmas reminds us of that desperate need. We celebrate Christmas in many ways. I happen to be married to a lady I call Miss Christmas because she loves Christmas. Teresa can decorate with the best of them, and she, she is Christmas. We've had family traditions, and I just wish sometimes she'd been my mother instead of my, no, I don't really. But we have a, have a great Christmas. But, but, you know, Christmas is when we sing Christmas carols, okay? Now, I've always wanted to be a preacher that could just burst forth in song, but I can't. So one of the carols we sing oftentimes, it's a secular carol, is I found two titles for this, Sleigh Ride or Sleigh Bells. I don't know. But as you know, the, the carol that goes like this, just hear those sleigh bells jingling. You know what I'm talking about? Ring, ting, tingling. You know that one? Are you with me? This, yes, okay. You know the, the song I'm talking about, okay? Yes. If you don't, I'll sing it for you and everybody else. No, that's the song. But here, here's a verse. It said, uh, there's a happy feeling nothing in this world can buy. When you pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie, it'll nearly be like a picture print from Courier and Ives. These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives. You know, of the song of which I speak, you may not know what Courier and Ives (laughs) refers to, but that was a, a printing company who was famous for printing, you know, pastoral scenes of snowdrifts and happy homes and fireplaces. And they would print these wonderful scenes. And so the song says, our time at Christmas is going to be something like Courier and Ives, which will be just perfect. It'll be a picture perfect Christmas. Some of you my age may be more familiar with Norman Rockwell and those beautiful paintings of just peace in the family, the fires glowing, the big fat turkey, there's no turkey in the world that big, is sitting on the table, and everything is just lovely. Everything is lovely. Let me tell you, the sad truth is that most, now let, let me be a little more optimistic. The sad truth is that many, many of us will not experience that kind of Christmas. For many people, that is just something you read about in a book. For many people in our world today, Christmas reminds us of happy times maybe in the past. Christmas reminds us as the family gathers that there is an empty seat at the table. I know this will be our second Christmas without my younger sister at 58 years old, 
uh, in August a year ago, took her own life. And so Christmas for us has been different and will be different from now on. Christmas for some people is a difficult time of the year as they deal with ongoing family members, family problems. Some people grieve because of members who aren't present. Some people are grieved by those who are present. Uh, they dread Christmas because family members are coming. These family members are having uh, to come up with ways to handle difficult family members when their dysfunctional family gathers for a meal that could potentially turn into a war. You know what I'm talking about? How do we handle these family situations? Well, you do the best you can. You know, I can just imagine so many mothers thinking, well, I'll put her by him and him by her and we'll time it. When they get here, they'll be gone and we'll just try to work this thing out. Church, that's reality for a lot of families at Christmas. That's reality for a lot of people at Christmas. So I want to say this morning that not only does Christmas remind us of the coming of the king, but Christmas reminds us that we need a king. And church, we don't need just some ordinary king. <laughs> but the good news is we don't have some ordinary king. What kind of king is King Jesus? Well, let me just tell you two significant things. From our study in 2 Samuel, God made a promise to David. He said, one of your descendants will become king, but he will be unlike any other king. His kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. That means how long is forever? Okay, eternally. The king that is coming, the one that God told David would rule and reign on his throne is an eternal kingdom. Now try to wrap your mind around that for just a moment. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now earthly kingdoms come and go as we've seen throughout history, but a kingdom that lasts forever would be no ordinary kingdom and would, would require a supernatural king. What about in Matthew's gospel? Kyle read this last week, Matthew 121. The angel told Joseph that your wife, Mary, will have a son. She will bear a son. Look at verse 21 of chapter one of Matthew. You shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Now, sometimes we just kind of read over the Christmas stories and we don't realize the impact of what the angel was telling Joseph. Mary's going to have a son and this son will save his people from their sins. Now, that is humanly impossible. Look at Psalm 49, 7 and 8. You'll see it on the screen. Here's the truth or the reality of life. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. It is beyond our means to redeem our brother. As much as we'd like to save our family members, as much as we'd like to save our children, as much as we'd like to save our parents, it is beyond our means, humanly impossible, to redeem another person in the eyes of God. It's impossible. 
No man can do that. But yet Matthew 121 says that we have a king who's coming, who's coming, who will save his people from their sins. Think about that for just a moment. His kingdom will be eternal. His work will be redemption to redeem us from our sins. That's exactly what Jesus did. He came to redeem his people. Yes, it was costly. Cost him his life, his own blood, but yet Jesus was the one who saved his people from their sin. Matthew's gospel reveals to us the king and his kingdom. Christmas reminds us as we see all the needs around us that we need a king, not just any king. The king that's revealed in Matthew's gospel is no ordinary king. Let's look at three things about this, this king, no ordinary king. First, the person of the king. You know, again, volumes have been written on the person and work of Christ. <laughs> but I want to highlight just a few things this morning from the gospel of Matthew. As Kyle showed us last week, no one can be a king without a proper birth, okay? Same is true today, always has been. You have to be of the lineage of royal birth, royal blood. So Kyle looked last week at Matthew chapter one, verses one through 17, and we see the earthly lineage of Jesus. And he was able to claim kingship because he came from the line of David. And we see that, okay? Came from the line of David. So he was entitled to an earthly kingship. But look at beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before the marriage was consummated, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Hmm, unusual. Look at verse 16, the way Matthew refers to Joseph. Jo Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. What's Matthew trying to tell us? Look at verse 23. This is it. Behold, the virgin, the virgin, a woman who had never known a man. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means what? God with us. No ordinary birth. No ordinary king. The story is told of C.S. Lewis. He was sitting in his office one day in the English department at the university and a friend stumbled in or came in. I don't guess he stumbled. He came in and uh, the friend was not a believer. And as they were talking, there were carolers below in the courtyard singing Christmas carols as they were speaking together. And they could hear the carolers singing words that contained that would contain words about Jesus' virgin birth. So the carolers were singing about the virgin birth of Jesus. His unbelieving friend said to C.S. Lewis, isn't it good that we now know better than they did? And C.S. Lewis said, what do you mean? Well, isn't it good that we now know that virgins don't have babies? C.S. <laughs> Lewis looked at him curiously and said, don't you think they knew that? <laughs> Don't you think they knew that? That's the whole point. 
You see, the fact that Jesus is born of a virgin is intended to surprise. There's no example of this happening in history. There's no precedent for this in scripture or anywhere in recorded history. Virgins don't have babies. Yet Jesus is no ordinary king. His birth is intended to completely, is, his, is intended to be completely unique to confirm to us who Jesus is. The virgin birth sets forth the divinity of Christ as well as his sinless humanity. God with us. I hope you're familiar with the gospel of John's Christmas story. You remember John's gospel, the Christmas story? There are no shepherds. There's no manger. There's not even a donkey. In John's Christmas story, he says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. That's John's Christmas story. From the very beginning, God was. And then God became a man. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is no ordinary king. Secondly, we see the testimony of John the Baptist. Turn over Matthew chapter three, verse two. Again, a phrase that we read if we're not careful. Repent, John came. You know what John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? I got the same middle name. So I just want to make sure you're awake. All right. Okay. So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. What was he preaching? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's bad. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, repent. Just got to wake you up. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's at hand? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is no ordinary kingdom. John you know, for over 400 years, the nation had not heard the voice of a prophet. And then out of nowhere comes John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist in the 11th chapter of Matthew. Jesus says John was the fulfillment of the prophecy written in Isaiah. He says, this is the one about whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. His greatness, why was John the greatest? His greatness came not from who he was as a man, but from his purpose. He was the greatest of the prophets because he came to prepare the way for God in the flesh. He came to prepare the way for the king. He was sent from God to prepare the way for Jesus and his kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The virgin birth, John the Baptist. Look at chapter three, verse 16. At his baptism, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. I was having, reading this passage of scripture in Hawaii in January of 1980. Only time I'd ever been to Hawaii, I was on my way to Japan. But I'm sitting on the porch. They don't call it a porch, they call it what? A, a balcony. Yeah, at a hotel. And as I'm reading this, a pigeon lights on the rail there. I'm serious. It kind of woke me up. But when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. 
Again, what's the significance of that? John said in John 1, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And John says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. John MacArthur says, the Spirit anointed Jesus for his kingly service as Isaiah had predicted. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, to freedom and freedom to prisoners, Isaiah 61.1. This church is no ordinary king. You cannot dismiss Jesus as a good teacher. You cannot dismiss Jesus as another prophet. The Holy Spirit confirms, the presence of the Holy Spirit on Jesus confirmed to John and all of us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the great king, the one who's coming the Lord had called John to announce and to prepare men for the son of God. Chapter three, verse 17, we have the testimony of the father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Behold a voice out of heaven. A voice out of heaven, the father. On three different occasions, the father spoke from heaven to affirm Jesus. Here at his baptism at the Mount of Transfiguration and then on his way to to the cross in John chapter 12. The king who would reign forever would be no ordinary king. He's declared to be the son of God. John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit, the father, I mean, we would sit up and listen when we hear their testimony. But what about an ordinary person? At the end of Matthew's gospel, there was a soldier standing by the cross who when Jesus died, listened to his testimony. This Roman soldier said, truly, this was the son of God. Truly. Peter, who spent three years with Jesus, when he wrote about Jesus and his relationship with the father, he says this, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one can worship the Father unless he comes to him through King Jesus. There is no king like Jesus. The person of Jesus gives us absolute, absolute verification. The power of the king. In Matthew chapter 4, just working our way through the gospel, we're going to go as far as 6. But Matthew 4, verse 23 What did this king do once he came? Well, Matthew tells us in verse 23 of chapter four, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Now, basically when I've thought about the life of Jesus, I think you break it down into two things, the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. Because nobody ever spoke like Jesus spoke. Nobody ever did the things that Jesus did. We cannot dismiss him as an ordinary teacher, as another prophet. What about his words in chapter four, verse 17? Jesus came, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, we read over that. John the Baptist said something similar, but Jesus says the same thing. The kingdom of heaven, 
The Jews were looking for a kingdom. They were tired of Roman domination. They were anxious about the kingdom, but it wasn't any ordinary kingdom and it wasn't any ordinary king. Jesus never hesitated to proclaim the truth that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Jesus never hesitated that to claim the fact that he initiated a new kingdom. He never backed down from being the king. John 18, 37, Jesus said, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I've been born, and for this I've come into the world. Do you remember last week, Kyle showed us in Matthew chapter two, how the Magi came to worship. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Jesus didn't deny it, and no one ever tried to refute it that Jesus is the king. His words, his statements. Think of other statements, other words that Jesus said that nobody else has ever said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. Can you imagine the audacity to make that claim? Can you imagine Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life? He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Whoever spoke like that? No one. No one. You cannot dismiss Jesus as another prophet or just a teacher. No one ever spoke like that. So we come to the conclusion that Peter came to in John chapter 6 when Jesus had been preaching and teaching some very hard things. People were walking away. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, don't you want to go away too? And John says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. King Jesus, no one ever spoke like Jesus. Jesus is the king we need. A king who brings hope, who brings words of eternal life, especially during the Christmas season. His words, his works, Matthew shares 20 different miracles in his gospel, and we won't look at all of them. We don't have time, but look at verse 23. What did he do? He was healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. Not only did Jesus heal sickness and disease, he calmed the sea. He walked on water. He was showing us that he was king of nature. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He is king of life, ruler over death. I, I, I love John chapter three where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, that's the whole purpose of the gospel of John is to show us that Jesus was a son of God and he gives us as we studied the gospel, these attesting miracles, these signs that indicate and show us that John said, these things have been written so that you may know and believe and have life in his name. No one ever did the works that Jesus did. No one. These signs and attesting miracles are important because they're part of the king's credentials. Jesus is no ordinary king. His words and his works set him apart from all others. So we see the person of the king, the power of the king. What about his kingdom? What are the principles of his kingdom? We see these in chapter five and chapter six. Jesus explains what his kingdom is all about. And we don't have time to look at all of this, but there are two things that I want us to know from Matthew chapter five. Look at verse 21. He says there, you have heard that the ancients were told. 
Verse 22, but I say to you, but I say to you, you've heard that the ancients were told you should not commit murder. And if you commit murder, you shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, what's Jesus saying? Where did they hear you shall not commit murder? From the Old Testament scriptures. But I say to you, what Jesus is saying here, he's not speaking in contradiction of the Old Testament. Look at verse 17. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to what? Fulfill. So what's my point? When Jesus taught, when Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount, his principles were intended not to contradict the law or the word of God in the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. Jesus speaks to us with authority. Jesus speaks to us with authority. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus is the fulfillment His teaching, his principles are the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So his words are authoritative in all that he said. And the second point is this. His words fulfill the law in the sense that they raise the standards. Because his words teach us about, first of all, true righteousness. Look at verse 20 of Matthew 5. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this had to be really shocking to all who heard these words. Unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees. Hey, these guys were serious. When it comes to praying and fasting and giving. I mean, and and the guy who's hearing this said, we got to be more religious than that. But Jesus said, no, What they do is external. What I want you to do is from the heart. He raises the standard. His righteousness goes to the heart, not just some external code that we live by. The kingdom that Jesus brings into the world is a kingdom that is born in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. It's a change of heart, not just living by the law. Let me tell you, only Jesus can change your heart. Only Jesus can change your heart. I know for 18 years, I tried to live by code. I went to a Baptist church. I did all the things that Baptists do and don't do. Thought I was a pretty good guy until my freshman year at the university when I had a change of heart and I met Jesus. His principles are not for the external, they're for the internal. True righteousness is ours. And becomes ours by faith. And I'll tell you what, how powerful this righteousness is. It is the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the righteousness that surpasses the external code. That's the principles that Jesus taught. Unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we won't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a righteousness that's imparted, imputed, put into our account by faith in Christ and his finished work. His principles point us to true righteousness, which begins with a change of heart. Only King Jesus can change our hearts. His principles also point us to true worship in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. The Pharisees were great at giving and praying and fasting. 
The problem is they were doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Doing the right things for the wrong reason. They were doing things to impress people rather than to impress God or worship God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus puts worship on a very personal level. You and your Father. Now don't say, well, we don't need corporate worship because the scripture teaches that very clearly. But yet we worship together corporately because we worship the same God individually. We go into our closets, we close the door, and God meets us in our closet. And God is pleased. God sees and God rewards. Worship is not to impress people. Worship is to fellowship with the living God. You and your Father. We need to be reminded of these kingdom principles often. If we're not careful, we can fall into the same traps of the Pharisees. Church, as we close, we need a king. <laughs> not some ordinary king, but Jesus is not some ordinary king. We need a king whose kingdom is one of light rather than darkness. We need a king who offers hope to the hopeless. We need a king who was there yesterday, who is here today, and who will be there tomorrow. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. We need a king who's able to save his people from their sins. Earlier, we sang the carol, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Hail the heavenly born Prince of Peace. <coughs> Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that men no more should die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. <coughs> we need light and life. We need healing physically and relationally. We need the hope of eternal life. Most of all, we need a change of heart. There is no king like King Jesus. Let's pray.